Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. For months, Andre had imagined what the apple would look like. And now, as he crested the mountain ridge, he was about to find out. He doubted it would be truly white, the pearl Ness had described. He guessed yellow with hints of cream. That would be more realistic. Then again, what was realistic about a white apple that healed people in a matter of hours? He dragged his aching body through the rain, his heart beating with an excited tick as he followed Samal, the team guide. She seemed unaffected by her tall, bulging backpack and heavy wool coat, ambling up the slope like a dragonfly zooming over grass. In Kazakh, she said, this way, soon, I think. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm talking to horticulturist and author Karen Hugh who has written another novel about a rare and fantastical plant, this time a parable about a rare apple that is discovered to have healing properties. After a harrowing trek into the mountains of Kazakhstan to find the elusive tree, followed by slow, careful cultivation in specific conditions, it turns out that some people don't want the apple to be shared with the world. Like those who base their opinions on scanty, incorrect, or inconclusive information in the real world, someone is trying to destroy all traces of a tree that might well help much of humankind. Hi, Karen. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks, Galit. I'm happy to be here. So how did you come up with the idea of a healing apple, and what would happen in real life if such a tree was discovered? (laughs) Well, I came up with the idea because I've always sort of been fascinated with apples. I mean, they're sort of archetypal, you know, like in history, in religion, um, just, just they're, they, they just have this sort of magic and, and mystery and sort of folklore and mythology. Um, and so I've always been interested in that. And, um, and then also too, (laughs) it's kind of weird, but I had sort of an interest in them because I, find them difficult to eat, like my digestive system um, (laughs) doesn't handle them very well. So I've always been sort of 
trying to figure out how to eat apples, like how I can eat apples. Should I cook apples? Should I put peanut butter on them? Like, how can I digest these delicious things? So they've been on my, kind of my mind um, for a long time. And so there was that sort of piece of it. And then um, I had written a thesis um, in my MFA program at Goddard. Um, and that book never quite felt right. And it had some plants in it, but I went back and I thought, what if I rewrite the story with this from a botanist point of view, like sort of starring a, a guy who is a, is a horticulturalist. And so I kind of fiddled with that. I started doing that. And this sort of idea of a healing apple worked its way in because there was a time, um, this was a long time ago, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember used, I used to yearn to just, I wish there was just a food or a fruit or something I could just give him that would just heal him, you know? Um, and so, of course, that doesn't exist. But in my mind, I kind of asked that question, what if it did? How, what would that look like? You know, how, who would grow it? How would it exist? Who would want it? And who wouldn't want it, basically? So it was kind of a convergence of all of those things um, that, that kind of came together in my rewriting of the thesis, in my sort of kind of preoccupation with apples, and then the idea of my husband being sick and me wanting to just give him sort of like a magic pill, you know, or a magic fruit. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So that was kind of the genesis of it. I want one too. Okay. So <laughs> if you find one, why Kazakhstan? Is there something about the soil or the water, the air? Oh, you know, that's really interesting. Um, Kazakhstan is the, they, the botanists think that that, um, country and that general area, uh, in Asia is the first birthplace of apples. So they believe that's where apples originated. It was the first place on earth that they, that they evolved. And so the cool thing about that area is there are just, um, you know, thousands and thousands of acres of apple trees that all cross pollinate. And there are thousands of varieties of apple trees there. And so, um, it's very, um, you know, likely, um, that this actually could happen in real life where an apple tree would cross with another and a new apple would be born, you know, that who knows what kind of healing properties it might have. So, that area um, is just a really um, ancient and very cool area. If you can imagine just mountains and hills just covered in apple trees, that's basically what this area looks like. So um, I thought that was a really kind of interesting um, uh, kind of jumping off point in terms of setting. Like, um, because, the, you know, the Soviet Union sort of had clamped down on those places. Development has encroached on the forests. And yet here are all of these, you know, forests full of apple trees, which is sort of a unique situation just sort of um, in terms of the ecosystem um, on Earth. So, yeah. So they're growing in the wild there. These are not cultivated fields. No, no, exactly. And therefore, because there's so many, and, and what you have too, which is really neat, you will have a mother tree and that 
sends out roots far and wide. And from those roots, little sucker trees spring up. These little saplings spring up. And you can have saplings as far as almost a mile away. I mean, it's amazing how... So basically, you have a forest. You can have a forest of one tree that has sprouted all kinds of mini trees, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The babies Mm -hmm. of that mother tree, that happens a lot there. And then, like I said, they, they just, you know, cross pollinate naturally and then new varieties are born. So it's a very biodiverse, rich, um, kind of forest for, for that reason. Yeah. Mm. And is, uh, this is the second book in your Botanique Noir series. And I want to know if that's a a real, an actual category of novel or did you invent it? (laughs) No, (laughs) I, I invented the word. I invented the term, which is basically black botany. (laughs) And, um, I knew that I was going to write at least two, possibly three or more novels set in Paris, um, and about people in the horticulture gardening world, because that was the world I I know that was the world I've worked in professionally and I lived in Paris. And so um, I thought it was just sort of an interesting place to put in plants because in some ways, even though Paris is a lot, has a lot of concrete, they have a lot of natural beauty too. Um, And so that was a term that I just kind of made up for this idea of writing crime fiction around plants um, that was kind of dark. (laughs) Also, they probably don't have a lot of crime fiction already written about, you know, plant growers and botanists and horticulturists. It's their turn. So great idea. I love it. <laughs> why did you choose? Why did you choose to set the story in Paris? I know you lived there. Um, and will future books? So all the books in the series will be set there in Paris. Uh, I think so. I have an idea of one book to 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 branch out a little bit to maybe Poland and to the south of France. But um, yeah, mainly I just um, you know kind of Paris has captured my heart, and and even though I did live there, I still I still kind of love it. I'm I'm basically a French, you know, an aspirational French person, right? Okay. <laughs> so if there's a place that I want to dream about in terms of writing novels, that's that's the place. Um, but I, I can see myself also, I have these, this idea for a botanical detective, detective novel that would take place in Seattle. So I'm not exactly limiting myself to, to Paris, but I do find it, um, you know, a, a fun and beautiful place to set a book. And when I work there, um, on the weekends, I used to go to various little gardens, um, and just kind of go exploring and things like that. And I discovered that Paris has the same zonal, um, has the same zone, growing zone, as uh, Seattle and the Northwest. And so uh, I was able to recognize a lot of the plants. I knew a lot of the plants. And it sort of fit, you know, botanically speaking for me. Uh-huh. Wow. Interesting. So can you say more about the apple, the magical apple? And its effect on people, does does quantity matter? I found myself thinking about this. Does quantity matter or will a single bite help heal you? <laughs> well, that's a good question. And I think that's something that my character, Andre, is, is, is kind of got the duty to explore as a scientist, you know. But um, from what we know in the book, uh, it seems that if you ate a couple of apples, you would at least have temporary 
um, effects. Um, it does boost his immune system, um, in the book when he is kind of, well, I won't give too much away, but I'll just suffice to say that, um, he does have to eat some of these apples. And so I think that, um, we might find out about the effects and, and, and the quantity and that type of thing, maybe in future books. But mm-hmm. for right now, they're kind of at the early stages of their of their medical, um, you know, investigation of it. Well, okay, two questions in one. If the chemistry of the apple were to be studied, what what would you imagine scientists would find? And if such a tree were discovered, what would the process be of making it available? It was it similar to what was spoken about in the book? Well, that's how I imagine it. I mean. So in terms of the medical, the actual chemistry, I, that's, that's something that is beyond my um, education. But I do know um, that apples, like for instance, just generally speaking, apples are very good at absorbing plaque in the arteries. That's sort of a known thing. And you know how they always say apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, that's because it does, it's almost, it. from what I understand now, I'm not a scientist, but um, it almost acts like a sponge um, that absorbs a lot of the toxins and a lot of the not so great things in your body. Um, and so I kind of just imagined that on steroids. That was kind mm-hmm. of, you know, I imagine how it boosts your immune system, but I kind of amp that up, amp that up that idea that it would really boost your immune system in a shortened amount of time. Um, I, so- I kept on craving apple pie while I was reading the book. <laughs> um, I'm wondering what your experience in terms of what were you craving while you were writing it? <laughs> well, <laughs> to be honest, I was craving clarity. <laughs> and I, was craving, <laughs> I was craving just uh, to write a story that, you know, was compelling and that people could understand because, you know, I had, I had sat with the book for so long, you know, that I, I was, kind of past the the apple phase of it and just sort of into the mechanics of the writing of it but um but yeah i i understand what you mean because sometimes um i i i'm the same way i read especially like you write um mysteries you know kind of with that are food related like when i remember when i read your book i i craved um a lot of the things that you talked about in your book so i guess that's only to be expected well, also because I'm a piggy at heart, so food is never far <laughs> from my mind. So, okay, why would anyone try to sabotage the growing of fruit that has health properties? Can you give any real-life examples of, I don't know, this is going to be so far-fetched, of innovations that could save lives that were met with fear and false narratives? I'm racking my brain. Right. Um, well, anything, without, anything going on in the world today that makes you connects to your book? I wouldn't say it's exactly. Um, I wouldn't say it's exactly anything to do with uh, botanical developments per se. Um, there's, you know, I, and I don't really want to get into this because it's so messy. But there's, um, you know, a lot of you know things. I guess just generally speaking, that people can get. 
I don't want to say hysterical, but they can get really misled about what might help them or what is bad for them even. Um, and, and, um, for instance, you know, like there was during COVID, we got this information that we should drink bleach and that is so not what you should do or take a heart, uh, an animal heartworm pill. And that's so not what you should do. Um, but people, you know, we believe these things because we're not sure of the sources and, and this in, in, misinformation spreads like wildfire. So um, in some ways, I think there's some of that in the book that, that there is some, um, I, I don't know how to describe it without giving too much away, but some people uh, don't see eye to eye about this apple um, as Andre, the main character and Renya, his um, assistant do. You know, and like before you had asked me about what's the situation um, in terms of how would we grow it? I mean, well, I had imagined that, um, well, what, what often does happen right now is that breeders will breed a new apple um, or a new fruit or a new um, plant, and then they apply for a patent for that. Um, a corporation often licenses that patent and then grows the actual product. Um, along with the the person who owns the patent. So that was kind of the scenario I'd imagined. So there's a professor, he's affiliated with the university, and that university would probably be in partnership with some kind of corporate um, entity or some entity that would have some money to fund his, you know, um, growing operation. So... um, yeah. And then those, those, you know, those entities have different interests too, right? I mean, the university might grow it because they would want to help people and help the ill and the corporations might grow because they might want to make money. So that always creates conflict as well. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, I, I thought your book was a parable because it, it connected to um, GMO products, genetically modified uh, yeah. fruits and vegetables that, got rid of some of the terrible things and were, you know, able to have a longer growing season or be stored longer, or even the fact that aspirin comes from willow bark. Exactly. So much of our health, so many things that we use for health today, maybe originally weren't accepted. Right. And, you know, that, that's, that's what I was thinking of before is the GMO issue. I mean, when we breed um, those, um, you know, products like, uh, so let's say the skin on a tomato doesn't break or this apple keeps for an extra long time, you know, that's kind of genetically modified. But so it gets into very murky waters very quickly as to what is really um, bad for our health and what is just uh, a scientific sort of advance. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the characters a little bit. Can you say more about Andre's personal reasons for wanting this apple to succeed? Sure. Uh, so he's, um, his mom, uh, had a stroke and, um, that was sort of heartbreaking for him, uh, because she is, um, more disabled now. And uh, he knows that if he can bring back the material tissue from these apple trees in Kazakhstan and grow the apple trees uh, and produce new apples, he could uh, possibly help her recover uh, better. Um, And uh, so that's sort of his personal stake in um, in the book. 
Um, and it was, I kind of had the idea for a stroke because my sister several years ago had a stroke and by the grace of God, she, uh, recovered pretty much just fine and was a hundred percent, but things like that can, can, you know, shake you, you know, it's scary. Um, and so I, like I said before, I think this whole thing is in some ways a yearning, uh, for me to want, uh, to help, <laughs> to help my own family and, um, you know, just help people who are ill and struggling in general. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. So there are police in the book. We won't say how or why, but they're sometimes really attentive and sometimes not. And I wanted to know if that was your experience with the policia when you were in Paris. Oh, <laughs> well, I never had any experience with police in Paris. <laughs> good to know. Good to yeah. know. <laughs> Thank goodness. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of, of just general experiences I've had with police in Europe. Um, the only experience I can think of is I was at a concert a long time ago and there was a, uh, like a stampede and a riot, not really a riot, sort of a riot. Um, and there were police there. Um, but that was more about crowd control. Um, I didn't really have, um, a one-on-one, -on -one, um, encounter with any police, but, um, but yeah, yeah, that, you know, Police people do the best job they can, and I'm totally supportive of police people. But sometimes, what what maybe a victim takes seriously doesn't seem as as um, intense, um, you know, or may seem a little bit more routine to to investigators or or uh, the police. Mm -hmm. What can what can you say about Renia? I forget how her name yeah. is pronounced. Yeah, Renia. Yeah, mm -hmm. Renia, whom we've already met in the first book yeah. in the series. Yes, yes. Well, um, my my sort of overarching uh, idea for the book was to uh, tell Andre's story, which is this story, Harvesting the Sky, and tell Renya's story. And that was The Forgetting Flower. And then to bring the two of them together in the next book um, as sort of the two main protagonists. Um, and Renya is, uh, for those who aren't familiar, she, uh, starred in my first novel, the forgetting flower. She is a plant shop owner or not owner manager, I should say. And she came to Paris to have, to find a better life. Um, she was kind of a, um, underprivileged, um, kind of working class Polish girl who wanted more opportunity. And, uh, she found it in Paris, but she also had the forgetting flower, which was a very dangerous, um, uh, plant because anyone who inhaled the scent of the flowers would forget the last uh, thing they thought of. And so that in the book, of course, was used to um, some mobsters advantage. And um, Renia got caught up, she got tangled up in, in their, um, you know, their, their crime um, endeavors, I should say. And so um, she, uh, she has now come through that, um, you know, process or that phase in her life. And she, um, still is the, uh, plant shop manager at the same, uh, store that she was in the first book. But, um, in the first book, Andre, uh, she calls on Andre to, 
um, see if he can identify the forgetting flower for her to tell her more about the plant's origins and what it is and how dangerous it, it is exactly because she doesn't know and nobody knows because it's a new, a new kind of plant that was bred a long time ago by an older gentleman who had since passed on. So, so Renya didn't know anything about the plant. Um, and so Andre is able to, well, I shouldn't give too much away. <laughs> But it's suffice to say that they meet in the forgetting flower and she um, takes to him. And so what you find out in this book is that when he needs an assistant, he uh, goes to uh, Renya to see if her assistant uh, is still available. And it's and she's not, but Renya is. And so um, she's able to sort of uh, help him out. Uh, a little bit uh, in his greenhouse, which is hidden in Paris. And um, in helping him out, she kind of uses her street smarts to um, to protect the, the apple trees and to help Andre. So they become kind of this team. And while they're becoming this team, he's also grappling with his feelings for her. Um, because at the you know time of the book, she works for him. And so he's maintaining a professional distance, but in his heart, uh, his heart is, he's feeling something different. So sparks yeah. are starting to fly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so Karen, you're working on a nonfiction book now about plants and mental health. When does that come out? And can you give us a little preview? Yeah, sure. Uh, so um, that book uh, is called uh, Leaf Your Troubles Behind, How to De-Stress and Grow Happiness Through Plants. And um, it's a self-help book. I'm super excited about it because what it does is it takes my almost 20 years of gardening experience and it um, mixes that those uh, the, the experiences I've had uh, gardening for clients and um, basically bringing them happiness through uh, gardens um, and it mixes it with the science of what's out there right now about plants um, healing uh, properties. So, excuse me, more and more uh, every day, there's more and more studies coming out talking about how nature heals us, how looking at nature relaxes us, uh, how smelling a soil uh, boosts our immune system cells, um, how walking, you know, you've probably heard of forest bathing, how walking in the forest um, will not only reduce cortisol levels, reduce blood, um, blood pressure, and, um, uh, but it also boosts uh, uh, natural killer cells, which is, are the cells that fight cancer, and it boosts them by a lot. So um, there are all of these different aspects of plants and how they can heal us. And, um, and it's not, I mean, as, as you know, we think of plants as just sort of like these beautiful soothing things, which they are, but now the science is coming in and the data is coming in. And so this book is sort of, um, you know, um, a mixture of that, of my personal anecdotes, um, that I've had from clients or friends about the experiences they've had in healing, um, from plants or the changes that they've felt in their mindset, uh, from plants and then what the science says. And then also, and I think that this is what's kind of unique about the book. I offer, um, activities and exercises about how people can get this into their own lives. And what I wanted to focus on, especially with this book was 
apartment dwellers and younger people who don't have gardens because it's super easy to say, oh, well, if you want to, you know, <laughs> take in the benefits of plants, just go off and garden in your backyard. Well, not everybody has a backyard, right? And um, in terms of people who are physically challenged, it's 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 also difficult. Um, you know, they're not just going to you know run off and go garden in their backyard either. Um, so I wanted to focus on apartment dwellers. I wanted to focus on how to get plants into your life if you in indoor space, in maybe small outdoor spaces like balconies or patios um, and that type of thing, or how to go out into nature too, and what is right for you. Um, as you know, a person like, you know, I don't want to force everybody to go on a mountain hike or something like that. We need to all figure out how is, what is the best way for us to bring more plant material into our lives? So, um, it was just an outgrowth of all my clients saying, oh my God, Karen, I'm so happy after, you know, like we redid the garden. Thank you. Um, you know, and, and, now I feel so much better. Like I'm, you know, this is my happy place. They kept telling me, this is my happy place. I totally lose all my stress out here, you know? And I kept hearing these stories over and over again. And I started to wonder, well, what, um, how could that transfer to someone who doesn't have a garden? <clears throat> so I love this idea. I can't wait <laughs> for this book to come out. You said sometime <laughs> next year. Yes. It's coming it, out. Okay. I think it's coming out June 15th. 2022 uh, from Prometheus Books. So we're I'm putting oh. finishing touches on it. Um, just like this morning, I was I was you know putting in my citations and I'm making an appendix and I'm trying to get a lot of resources and information for people <clears throat> um, in it as well. And um, yeah, so it should be should be uh, going to production this fall, and um, you will hear Super. more about it. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today and best of luck with both this book and the upcoming one. Thanks again, Karen. Thank you so much, Galit. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host of New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with author Karen Hugh about her second botanique noir literary thriller, Harvesting the Sky. Hope you're all able to lose yourself in a good book today and tomorrow too. Happy reading. <laughs>